Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.30 a.m. on the 21st of January 2020. This is episode number 183 of Bitcoin. And we got a lot of stuff to cover today, guys. And no, I'm not going to talk about Peter Schiff. I think that's been done to death. We've got some other insane people in the mix today that we can talk about. So we will do that. But first, we're going to start off with a segment that I haven't done in months, probably six months. I don't know. I'm bringing back Torchlight, y'all, because, because the LN Trust Chain 2 is on the loose. That's right. Space Cat has unleashed, lit off the chain, and otherwise unhinged the next Lightning Network Trust Chain. He did so apparently, on the 19th. He says, some LN fun. I send 100K sats to the first person I choose to trust that replies to this tweet with 100,000 sats LN invoice. That person adds 10,000 sats and makes a tweet asking for a 110,000 sats LN invoice, and so on. How many sats before it breaks? Hashtag LN Trust Chain 2. This is a complete, complete redo of Hodel and Knott's uh, original tweet that kicked this son of a bitch off last year um, around January. <laughs> and I started covering the progress of said LN, the original LN Trust Chain, that was the hashtag LN Trust Chain, uh, under the segment that I dubbed Torchlight. So Torchlight is now back on the menu boys so we're going to we will be covering that it's probably not going to last very long because this thing is flying at light speed um i first i i got to give mention to uh bitcoin meme hub because it was bitcoin meme hub who alerted me by tweet not directly i just caught one of his tweets in in my stack uh, season two of the torch run was kicked off by Huddle and Odd. If you want to catch the torch, look who has it under this hashtag, hashtag LN Trust Chain 2. That's LN Trust Chain 2. And right now it's, oh God, hold on. Let, let me see where it's at. Okay, it appears that uh, Peter McCormick had the, cha- uh, the trust chain last. Uh, the 26 minutes ago, Peter McCormick tweeted out that the LN Trust Chain 2 has traveled from Scotland to Ireland and is in the capable hands of Mooncoin Wizard. That is at Mooncoin Wizard, all one word. So there it is. Let's see uh, what, let's see uh, what the, how many sats it is right now. 
Okay, so about two hours ago, the LN Trust Chain 2 was sitting at 810,000 sats. That was uh, that information was given by Andrew Wertheim at A-W-E-R-T-H-E-I-M. Anyway, so it looks like it might be going to either maybe Wales or Brazil. Not sure. It's a little unclear at this point, but that's because the speed of this one is moving pretty damn fast. It's 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 on fire, man. So there is torchlight for the day. Right, one bit of community news before we uh get on with it. Um BT Pay Server has introduced BTC Pay Vault. Um, this is a desktop app that allows you to use hardware wallets, cold card, shift crypto HQ, Tezer, Trezor, Ledger, and Crypto Keep Key with your BTC Pay Server and its full node. Let's take a look at their blog entry because this is pretty big. Um, yeah, this was released today. We're excited to announce a freshly baked feature from our coding kitchen, BTC Pay Vault, prepared by our chef de cuisine, Nicholas Dorier. I keep wanting to say Dorier, but that's not correct. So, Nicholas, I'm sorry I've been butchering your name so so many times. The Vault is a delicious desktop application which allows communication between your hardware wallet and BTC Pay using its full Bitcoin node, providing a richer user experience without sacrificing privacy and security. Why? When you launch a BTC Pay server, the stack, among other things, contains a full Bitcoin node. To receive funds through BTC Pay, you have to configure your store with an extended public key, XPUB, which is then used to generate addresses. However, to spend the receive funds from your wallet, you need to access your private keys, which we do not store on BTC Pay. That required users to use an external wallet, and due to severe limitations of almost every wallet in the market, <laughs> gap limit, trusted third parties, no XPUB, export support, etc., a majority of users often opted to use wallet solutions such as Electrum and leak their sensitive financial information to a third-party server. That's why BTC Pay created an internal wallet system many months ago that allows you to spend your funds through direct integrations with the Ledger Nano S cold card Oh, uh, sorry, with the Ledger Nano S and cold card. This also allowed you to import your public key without requiring technical knowledge. Enter the BTC Pay Vault, a cross-platform desktop application that makes hardware wallet experience not only smoother and faster, but also extends compatibility to many other devices. The hardware wallet integration is composed of two parts, btcpayserver.hwi and btcpayserver.vault. HWI is an easy-to-use library wrapping the command line interface into the HWI project or of the HWI project. Vault, a simple local web server providing access to the hardware wallet physically connected to your computer via HWI. In layman words, or layman's terms, BTC Pay Vault is a separate app locally hosted on your own uh, on your own PC, which BTC Pay Server connects to and asks for permission. Once permission is granted, BTC Pay is able to integrate with any hardware wallet connected to your PC. You can import your wallet and spend incoming funds with a simple confirmation on your device with, uh, with your keys never leaving your hardware device with all funds being validated against your own Bitcoin full node 
and no data leakage. So there you go. That just dropped out of the sky today. Uh, the blog post is uh, blog.btcpayserver.org forward slash btcpay hyphen vault. btcpay hyphen vault if you want to get into more of that. All right. So let's get into some news. God, Oh, actually, no. I'm sorry. Not news. Vitals. Statistics brought to you by BitInfoCharts.com. Bitcoin is at a price of 8679 We have a high over at BitAsset at 8736 Looks like our low is going to be down there at Coinbase Pro at 8649 320,000 transactions sent in the last 24 hours, averaging 13,300 transactions per hour. Uh, only 571 BTC have been sent in la- that last 24 hours, making average sent per hour right around 24,000 BTC with a low average transaction value of 1.79 BTC and the median at 0.027 BTC or about 230 bucks. As you might expect, block time is low at 8 minutes and 34 seconds. We have 0.1 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and only 17 BTC being taken in fees over the last 24 hours. We've had a 7.6% rise in the hash rate. We're chilling out at 117.5 exahashes per second. Uh, Last I heard, we hit an all-time high, I think, at 126 exahashes per second. Um, let's see what's going on here. Oh yeah. The, uh, GitHub last commit was sometime yesterday. So somebody added to either the, or somebody added to the repository yesterday, whether it was code or corrections to a document. I don't know. I don't check that shit. Ethereum is at 170. BCH is at 343. BSV is at 319. Litecoin is at 5771. Uh, eat good God. Ethereum Classic is at nine bucks. Doge is still getting hammered, 0.0024, well below its usual threshold. And at 33,000 transactions in the last 24 hours, it's, oh, it's tied with Bcash. Interesting. And walking all up and down Litecoin's ass. So there's that one. Now, this is going to be a bit different. Uh, usually I use mempool.space uh, for uh, mempool, but since I now have my own Bitcoin node up and running again, finally, uh, through the good people at my node, <laughs> I, have, um, I have my own statistics for the mempool uh, from my own node, and I'm going to trust this more than any of the other stuff. What's odd is that I'm looking at the hash rate from my node. Actually, let me refresh this just for a second just to make sure here. Yeah, I I am reading on my node a hash rate of 122.3 exahashes, not 117. So there's some there's some differences there. Anyway, I'm going to start trusting my node more than uh, your node because that's just the way it should be done. We have 12,428 unconfirmed transactions in the mempool. That gives us a mempool size of 15.75 megabytes. This is pretty big. 
Um, the last blocks that I'm seeing are all above one megabyte. I got one here that's probably the largest I've ever seen. It looks like it's 1.599 megabyte, or not one point. One thousand. It's in in bytes. It's one thousand five hundred and ninety nine. So it's like a meg and a, a, over a meg and a half. And I haven't seen that either. I haven't seen that real often, or I haven't seen that at all. That's as far as I know. That seems to be the biggest block that I've gotten. Now I'm gonna uh, talk a little bit about some of the things that I've been seeing since I've had the ability to query the blockchain for myself. Block times. Um, I, like I said, in the, uh, previous, in the, the, from bit info charts, you know, we're looking at eight minute block times, but I'm seeing lots of variance in block times. Like for instance, um, let's see, we are at our block height right now is six, 613,879. That block is 20 minutes old. The block be right before it, 878 is a little over 19 minutes old. So the last block was 19 minutes and 19 seconds. The block before was 19 minutes and 24 seconds. So in five seconds, within five seconds of each other, two blocks were minted. Now, before that, I've got 20 minutes and 53 seconds. So, and then before that is 22 uh, minutes. Before that, the next oldest block is one hour old. And so I'm, I'm seeing this weird variance. I'm not concerned about it because I know this has always been going on, but Hey, you know, it, it is just, it's interesting to, it, it, now that I can actually see it by time, uh, it really kind of impacts. Does it mean that Bitcoin's going to die? No, just ask if at did Bitcoin die? He'll, he'll tell you. Anyway, so there's that. Let's look at lightning. We have one, uh, 11,118 nodes. That's a 2.39% increase in the last 30 days. One of those nodes is mine because my node comes with a lightning node. And now I have open channels. I've got, uh, some open with, uh, coin. I got one open with coin laughs. I got one open with TFTC. I got, uh, a couple of other ones open. Uh, it's an, it's, and to tell you the truth, the whole interface with, uh, my node, um, is pretty easy. Um, I'm really impressed. Anyway, we have 35,810 channels. We have a network capacity of 879 BTC, and that's a 2% increase in the last 30 days. We have 20 new nodes that came online in the last 24 hours. And we, whoa, man, that actually ends up being a 33% increase in the last 24 hours. And new channels is 225, which is about a 20% increase in the last 24 hours. Anyway, that's going to do it for all your vital statistics. Roundup is is chock full of some pretty stupid shit. Just be forewarned, some of this is pretty cringe, but hey, if you don't know it about it, you're going to know about it here pretty damn soon. Blockstream co-founder joins Bitcoin-only startup River Financial. This was yesterday, and this is actually part of the good news. Cringe comes later. You'll you'll 
you'll know it when you hear it. I, I guarantee it. Alyssa Hertig is writing for Coindesk uh, yesterday. Industry veteran Jonathan Wilkins, a co-founder of Bitcoin tech startup Blockstream, is joining up-and-coming Bitcoin brokerage River Financial as their CSO. River is a Bitcoin-only financial institution for buying and selling the digital currency, currently available only to testers who have received invites. The San Francisco-based outfit is working on an interface it hopes will be as slick as Jack Dorsey's Square Cash, equipped with automatic recurring buys. Wilkins brings C-level gravitas and cypherpunk bona fides or bona fides, to River. He was the CSO at Blockstream, an outfit dedicated to improving Bitcoin technology with projects such as Liquid for faster payments between exchanges and a system of satellites used to broadcast Bitcoin block data from space. Early in his career, he worked at Zero Knowledge Systems, which built a forerunner to the anonymizing Tor network. Later, he was security architect at Microsoft, Zynga, and Yelp. Compared to other Blockstream co-founders who are outspoken on Twitter or often appear in the media, Wilkins has laid low. He joined River, or he's joined River to shepherd shepherd the company's security model, a particularly important part of the business since it is custodial, taking care of users' private keys. Quote, by focusing on simplicity and what is best for users in the long term, instead of pushing altcoins and and encouraging more active trading in order to increase fees, River is closer to the historical ideal of a bank, said Wilkins. I wanted to be part of a company concerned with helping its community grow its wealth and providing an alternative to to today's more predatory financial institutions, end quote. River Financial has built its infrastructure from the ground up, founder and CEO Alexander Leishman says. Quote, we're in this for the long term, uh, Leishman said, adding that River has already made a couple of big decisions based on Wilkins' guidance, such as not relying on third-party cloud computing services. Honestly, guys, that's kind of an easy call. Maybe they'll hire me. I don't know. Quote, it's a lot of work to not do that, but we can build a system that we fully control, end quote, Leishman says. River Financial differs from many services used to buy and sell cryptocurrency in that it's focused solely on Bitcoin. And we're going to let that go right there because that you, that's all you really need to know is that one of the kind of a heavyweight in the industry, guys, you may not like it because it's blocks or Borg stream or whatever the tinfoil hatters are, are calling it nowadays. But yeah, that's kind of cool that river financial is, is snagging some of these guys. It their their God, their, their speed and velocity reminds me of stuff like fold and lolly. I mean, these guys are, are getting real serious, real damn fast. So watch out for river financial daily hodls. Uh, Oh, their staff is writing that UK regulator plans to track Bitcoin, Ethereum and XRP transactions on a massive scale. According to a newly discovered government contract, this was written this morning. Officials at Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, the United Kingdom's tax authority, want to buy a tool that will help them track and de-anonymize transactions made with Bitcoin, Ethereum, XRP and other top cryptocurrencies. HMRC will pay a vendor up to $110,000 to provide such a tool. (laughs) You're going to have to open your wallet larger than that, dude. Oh, God, sorry. Which the authority hopes will provide the ability to, quote, identify and cluster crypto assets transactions into linked transactions and identify those linked to crypto asset service providers. According to a notice published on the UK's government official website, Notes, 
the HMRC, quote, the tool must specifically provide the following capabilities. One, de-anonymization by cluster analysis and identify confidence ratings in clusters. Two, attribution of a cluster slash address to a known commercial entity exchange or a known service provider, mixing service, gambling service, dark market, etc. Potential vendors are required to submit bids by the end of the month. The contract will last one year and it requires the bidder to provide training services to Her Majesty's. Oh, God, at the HMRC. In addition to BTC, Ether, Ripple, HMRC is also asking for the ability to track Ethereum Classic, Bitcoin Cash, Tether, and Litecoin. They also want to be able to maintain that capability following any future forks that ripple out related to those assets. Additionally, UK tax officials prefer if the vendor can set up a place to track Monero, Zcash, and Dash in the future. HMRC claims that the cryptocurrencies are being used more and more for a variety of purposes, including international money transfers, sales of digital services, paying staff, tax evasion, and money laundering. You always gotta, you gotta drop that shit in there, man. You have to. If you're in the media or or you're in the government or whatever, your narrative when it comes to this stuff has to include, it's for the children. We're all going to die from nuclear weapons, from terrorism, uh, and uh, money laundering. And, oh, God forbid, tax evasion, you know, because... I love funding Pakistani weddings getting shit-bombed from the sky 12 miles away, uh, killing women, children, and mostly civilians to get one guy who may or may not be a terrorist and who may or may not actually have been at said wedding. That's what I like my tax money to do. Fuck the roads. Let's kill some people at a wedding. That's what I'm saying. Sorry, blood pressure. Uh, decrypt.co is right. Uh, their Tim Copeland is writing that YouTube bans Bitcoin videos again. When will it end? Oh, good Lord. YouTube has purged more crypto videos just weeks after admitting that an algorithmic error caused it to ban many, many videos and channels. Two more YouTubers have gone to Twitter to complain about further strikes after their channels were brought back to life. Last month, following a mass deletion of cryptocurrency videos, the crypto community called YouTube out. Platform admitted that the decisions were a mistake, promised to reinstate the videos they removed in error, and put the entire incident down to a mishap. Now, the same appears to have happened again, and one crypto YouTuber dubbed That Martini Guy is calling the platform out. Quote, stop striking my channel. This is an attack on crypto YouTube. He wasn't alone. On January the 15th, crypto vlogger DaVinci15 tweeted a similar message begging his followers to help. Quote, so I got a strike today on my last live stream. This is clearly an error. And with the strike, I am unable to stream or upload videos. Please like and retweet, blah, 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 blah. Since then, DaVinci's, DaVinciJ15's strike has been removed, but a warning remains on his channel. According to MM Crypto. This needs to be removed, too, for him to continue making crypto content without fear of losing his channel. Crypto YouTuber Ivan on Tech told Decrypt, quote, YouTube is such an important platform for crypto and a natural place for community building. We love this platform. Unfortunately, the strike and appeal process is very non-transparent and Kafka-esque. It also feels unfair sometimes because creators need to create an uprising on Twitter 
to get YouTube's attention. Small creators might not have that option. Ivan on tech saw his platform disappear in the Christmas purge, but it has since been reinstated. He realized that Twitter was one of the best ways to get the video streaming giant's attention. Can tweeting save the day again? Oh, God. Okay, the the uh, reference to Kafka-esque, if you don't know it, it's okay. Uh, I read Kafka when I was in my English degree at, at Texas Tech. If you haven't read Kafka's The Trial, you might want to pick that song bitch up. That thing is, it may very well be more of a manual, like 1984 is not a fiction, it's actually a, a manual on how to screw shit up. Yeah, read the trial from Kafka. That is K-A-F-K-A, Kafka. That's one of the best authors that uh, the 20th century ever saw. The Daily Hodels, uh, let's see, who's this? Oh, this is their staff again. This lone crypto whale just moved $445 million in Bitcoin for 23 cents. But my fees, this is written this morning. A crypto whale is flexing its muscle after sending $445 million in Bitcoin between two wallets in one single transaction. The lone whale moved the 51,511 BTC on Monday. The transaction fee cost 0.00002860 BTC, which amounts to 23 cents. According to the crypto tracker Blockstream, the fee would have been 16% lower if the center had used the Bitcoin scaling solution known as, wait for it, Segwit and BEC32. Uh, this is the second mega Bitcoin transaction in a month. A separate whale recently moved 123,447 BTC worth a mind-blowing 1.1 billion, that's billion with a B, dollars USD. Whale activity has picked up in the last week as BTC grows increasingly volatile. Here's a look at the largest Bitcoin transactions in the last 24 hours. Uh, let's see, uh, 1,471 uh, BTC were moved, 674 BTC were moved, 700 BTC were moved, 2009, and 1,000 BTC were all moved sometime this in the last 24 hours. I guess that would probably actually be maybe like getting into the 48-hour period. Anyway, 23 cents. <clears throat> Do that with gold. Send that across the world in gold for 23 cents. I don't think so. I just don't. CME Bitcoin options volume doubles one week after launch. It's $5.3 million. William Suberg, writing for Cointelegraph sometime this morning, says that Bitcoin options from CME Group have more than doubled their trading volume in the first week after going live. According to figures supplied by the company, Bitcoin options volume skyrocketed in the seven days since they went live on the 13th of January. As of January 17, volume was 122 contracts worth 610 BTC, about five and a quarter million. By comparison, on day one, volume was 55 contracts or 275 BTC. 
currently worth $2.37 million. Open interest on options stood at 219 contracts on Friday, equivalent to $9.45 million. As Cointelegraph reported, CME already considered its options a success at launch, while commentators subsequently suggested the uptake signaled institutional commitment to Bitcoin futures. Futures offerings themselves also saw strong performance as last week ended, with CME seeing total volumes of 7,245 contracts, or let's see, what is that, Uh, 36,225 BTC, or nearly $313 million. Oh, good Lord. For some reason, my mouse just decided to die. Oh, great. Thanks, dude. I appreciate that, pal. Uh, meanwhile, even CME's volumes would appear to pale in comparison to Binance, currently the subject of controversy among cryptocurrency figures over its giant reported futures statistics. According to its website, Binance's Bitcoin futures traded 111,000 BTC, or $959 million, in the past 24 hours alone. The volume even dwarfs that of Binance's spot markets by three to one, recent data suggests. At the same time, an alleged discrepancy in how Binance burns its in-house token, Binance Coin, or BNB, has led one critic to claim foul play on the part of its executives. Binance says it burns BNB tokens each quarter in relation to its total quarterly profits. In September, this began to include futures products. Uh, In a tweet on Tuesday, however, Tim Copeland, a journalist at crypto media outlet Decrypt, highlighted a change of language in a white paper as proof Binance now burned BNB based on volume, not profit. Quote, this was quietly removed from its white paper some time ago. It was accurate for at least the first year. So the profit estimates may not be accurate, he warned. Yeah, I saw that tweet way early this morning. I uh, won't get into it. You you heard the, the meat of it right there. Uh, moving from meat to coffee, coffee drinkers are ship, shaping the next wave of financial innovation as bankers fear the rise of Starbucks. Oh, my God. Daily Hodel staff writing yesterday, Starbucks is no longer just a threat to its competitors in the coffee industry. A number of Korean banking groups fear that the popular chain is on track to become a major financial services company, according to a report by the Korea Times. The banking group says the Seattle-based coffee giant is a threat to financial markets due to the significant amount of cash customers load onto Starbucks prepaid cards, says KB Financial Group Chairman Yoon jong Kwu. Quote, the most used mobile payment app in the United States was the Starbucks app, not Google or Apple Pay. According to MarketWatch, U.S. Starbucks customers loaded, get this, $1.2 billion, that's billion with a B, onto gift cards in the mobile app as of the first quarter of 2016. More cash than some major American provincial banks have in deposits. The amount of cash its Korean unit holds is confidential, but is estimated at over 70 billion won, or $602 million, according to the Korean Times. The company's 2018 annual report shows $1.6 billion in stored value card liabilities through cash loaded up by coffee-drinking consumers. Experts say this amount of cash will enable Starbucks to move into the asset management business worldwide, expanding its presence in the currency exchange loan and insurance market, says HANA Financial Group Chairman Kim Jung-tai. Quote, technologies have allowed coffee companies like Starbucks to be our rivals 
it will be fine to call Starbucks, but an, an, an unregulated bank, not a mere coffee company, end quote. They cite the coffee conglomerate's early investments in the crypto space as evidence of these plans. Digital asset platform Back says it expects to release a consumer app for Bitcoin and crypto payments sometime in the first half of 2020 with Starbucks on board as the first launch partner. Back's broader mission is to build a huge blockchain-based marketplace for cryptocurrencies, serving the vast majority of customers who are new to the digital asset space, as well as merchants who want to participate without increasing risks. Quote, we started with the concept of a consumer-driven platform that offers the ultimate control over their digital assets, including the flexibility on how to use them. For merchants, we're focused on delivering more control over costs and innovative customer engagement, both freeing up capital and supporting a direct relationship with their customers, end quote. Korean bankers fear Starbucks may stir up the conventional financial markets and are calling for increased regulation on the company. Hansung's university economics professor Kim Sang-bong tells the Korea Times, quote, Regulators are needed for prepaid service providers to maintain a certain level of capital adequacy ratio. A banking official points out that Starbucks is acting more like a fintech company or an unregulated bank than a coffee company. The removal of the word coffee from its signboard also provides this fintech strategy. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I can see why they're concerned. Hell, I mean, that's actually kind of concerning. Not, I'm not concerned for the bank's concern. I'm concerned for just regular, you know, blokes on the street walking around. I mean, $1.6 billion of assets under management by a coffee company? Are you kidding me? Because, I mean, if you think about it, it wouldn't be a stretch for those guys to start, like, I don't know, Managing those assets more like a hedge fund and start buying stocks with all the money that it, 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 I, I'm getting at fractional reserve. That's where I'm going with all this. Um, it, would it be possible? I mean, at, and at one point or another, with the amount of money and the freaking legal staff that somebody like Starbucks has, is it any? Is it impossible for them to actually get a you know money handling license? No, no, it's not. I don't think it would be, you know, difficult for them at all. Uh, just because, I mean, they've got so much money that they can hire the people that they need to be able to push that through. It would, and Walmart is is kind of hot on their heels. I, you know, I used to play a lot of video games, and one of the genres that I started kind of getting interested in, but never got around to playing was a couple of games where the near future was basically there were no governments. They had all basically been swallowed up by huge corporations and you were under corporate control depending on where you lived, who you were, what your status was, that, you know, who you worked for, that kind of thing. And honestly, it's a kind of a scary uh a scary thought. Governments are scary by themselves. Uh I was about to say, at least you vote for him, but you really don't. Honestly, but I mean, we're stuck between a rock and a hard place here. And this is why Bitcoin, Maduro, uh, when you can't get your shit coin traction, get people to gamble. Maduro announces crypto casino in support of Petro and public. 
Nicolas Maduro, president of Venezuela, announced on Friday the opening of a new crypto-run casino in a battered country where betting halls have all but gone extinct. This is Andrew Calderaro in, uh, writing for Cointelegraph sometime yesterday. Maduro said Avia National Park's Hotel Humboldt will soon be home to an international casino that will operate with Petro, Venezuela's state shitcoin, and that proceeds will fund the country's public health and education sectors. Jesus Christ. It's like the lottery in the United States. Oh, it's gone. All the profits are going to go to education and it's gone. No, it's all bullshit. The announcement comes less than a decade after Maduro's mentor, former president Hugo Chavez, ordered the closure of all betting places as harbors of prostitution, drugs, and crime. Since 2011, as the then relatively prosperous country has degraded, only a limited number of online platforms have allowed Venezuelans to gamble. As if waking up in Venezuela ain't a gamble all by itself. Jeez, good God, y'all. While the casino seems to lack a name, Maduro's enigmatic announcement comes with plenty of questions. He kept mum on the casino's exact opening and whether the establishment located in the lungs of the city, God, that's in quotes, will give oxygen to similar venues. The logistics of how the casino will run, must guests use the Petro app? Will the casino house Crypto ATMs? Uh, how will winners collect their spoils? All this remains a mystery. Perhaps the announcement's most poignant question is how, in a country that now lags globally in education and suffers a gutted public health structure, will the crypto casinos funds support dire public health and education needs? Given the Venezuelan government's history of not delivering on promises related to the Petro, Cointelegraph advises readers to approach news on the subject with skepticism. <laughs> no shit. As Cointelegraph reported last week, Maduro announced plans for Venezuela to sell reserves, 4.5 million barrels of oil to be exact, of its state-run oil and gas company PDVSA for Petro. According to Maduro, the sale will help Venezuela open roads to the new economy and build a world of peace and integration of peoples, their happiness and improvement. And I reported on that last week too. So... Yeah, uh, like w one of the worst things that you can do to an impoverished population is, I was going to say allow gambling. I think gambling should be allowed. Why? Well, because I don't think anybody should be telling you what the hell to do with your cash, your body, whatever. But there's also the other side of that fence, which is making it sort of not mandatory, making it real damn easy because I guarantee you there's gambling in Venezuela right now. It's all black market, but there's gambling, but putting gambling halls back in. Yeah, this is what I saw with New Mexico. I'll briefly touch on that years ago, native American tribes <clears throat> um, all across the United States uh, successfully won their right to operate gambling casinos as long as they were on reservation land. When I go to Colorado, um, I leave, you know, from Panhandle of Texas and drive through Santa Rosa to like Klein's Corners and then up through Santa Fe and then all like on the north side of Santa Fe, I swear to God, is probably the poorest part of the country that I've ever witnessed by my own eyes. And what did they do? The Indians who, the, the Native Americans and their tribes, 
the ones who were the most impoverished opened up gambling casinos and the majority of the people that, I mean, yes, it attracts tourism and tourists, you know, come and they gamble and all that, but like they do that on weekends. They don't do it on a Wednesday afternoon at two thirty. you know, at, at two thirty. right? Who does that? The people who are losing their paychecks. I don't think it's good. And I've seen, I've seen, like, I've been driving through that region of the country since I was 20 years old, actually since I was 18. And I got to tell you, the shit's just gotten worse. Poverty's gotten worse. It's just, it's a bad, bad scene. And I just don't think casinos in Venezuela are going to help the Venezuelans. I don't know. Okay. Now we gravitate from pretty stupid with the whole gambling in Venezuela thing to toxic levels of stupid. (sighs) Decrypt.co's Daniel Phillips is writing yesterday, toxic Bitcoiners drove Kim.com to Bitcoin cash. Political activist Kim.com criticizes the infighting in the Bitcoin community and shows his support for offshoot Bcash. German-Finnish internet entrepreneur and political activist Kim.com has expressed distaste at the levels of infighting in the Bitcoin community. .com, who is working on an eponymous crypto project, backed Bcash proponent Roger Ver, pointing to the innovation in the BCH community. During last week's On the Record podcast with cryptocurrency derivatives trader Tone Vays and statistician Willie Wu, .com said, quote, I am looking at the reality of crypto today and all this fighting. Real innovation is not being recognized because of this fighting, because of the toxicity, end quote. He went on to say that this infighting is damaging the reputation of the whole crypto community, blasting, quote, pissing matches between prominent industry figures. Dotcom pointed out that the cryptocurrency industry can still be considered very small, claiming that just 2% of internet users have been exposed to the sector. Wu argued that it could expand to 16% or more in the future. However, he said the coin that will catch mainstream appeal might not be Bitcoin, but be cash. Quote, They, new adopters, don't know anything about the current wars that are taking place, the current toxicity within the crypto community. They are going to go with the currency that gives them the cheapest fees, the fastest transactions, the most reliability. Unfortunately, that is not BTC. End quote. Dotcom said he sat down with Ver and looked at his latest experiments for Bcash, saying that, or saying the Bitcoin.com founder was a step ahead of everyone else. Quote, Ver is working on some really cool stuff in terms of security and privacy, and I also agree with his argument. In order to be a very successful cryptocurrency, you need to provide fast and cheap transactions. There's no way around that. It's nice to be a store of value, but if you really want to succeed in this game, you need to be the electronic cash. Dotcom has his own plans to compete in the cryptocurrency game, but they have hit a roadblock in recent months after his planned initial exchange offering on Bitfinex was canceled. He is also fighting a bid to avoid being extradited to the United States where he is wanted for copyright charges. That ain't all, guys. That ain't all. Uh, Kim.com. Who is this dude? Um, if you haven't heard of Kim.com, he was pretty big in the late 90s, you know, way early 2000s. Uh, especially his company, Mega Upload. That was the one that really put him in the spotlight. And it also got his ass swatted 
in New Zealand. It was either New Zealand or I can't remember where he was living at the time. I'm pretty sure it was New Zealand. In, I, I can't remember. It Down there was either Australia or New Zealand, something like that. He got swatted. I mean, he was having a party and all his friends were there. And I'm talking a big party because he was like millionaire party because .com is a millionaire. Uh, helicopters from whoever, whatever army of country they were in at the behest of the United States swooped in and swatted his ass. And I ain't talking like a cut, like one helicopter. I'm talking like this was like an armed force that raided him, his party and his mansion. And I feel actually really bad for Kim.com for that entire thing, because I, you know, at the time Kim.com wasn't as stupid as he is now, but when you dig into the guy's past, like when you dig into any of the B cashers past or the BSVers past, you start finding shit such as this. Now, this one is from the International Business Times. Marianne Rusin, she's writing this, but she's writing this in February of 2017. So, you know, three years ago. Um Let's just get into this so you understand who, what you're up against when it comes to somebody who's like, oh, Bcash is the way. Um, using the hacker name Kimball after the character Dr. Richard Kimball in The Fugitive, .com claimed in German media interviews in 1992 that he had bypassed NASA, the Pentagon, and Citibank security systems, as well as hacking hundreds of private branch exchanges. Uh, belonging to US, U.S. companies and selling the access codes for $200 U.S. each. Dotcom was arrested in 1994 for trafficking in stolen phone card numbers and eventually convicted on 11 counts of computer fraud and 10 counts of data espionage. He was given a two-year suspended sentence since at 20 years old, he was still underage where the crimes were committed. <clears throat> Dotcom set up a premium toll chat line in Hong Kong and the Caribbean and then used a, quote, war dialer software program to call the lines using the stolen credit card numbers, which earned him 61,000 uh, euros. In 2000, during the Internet bubble, Dotcom started a security company called Data, Pro uh, Data Protect and landed a lucrative security contract with Lufthansa as after he demonstrated a security vulnerability to the airline. Dotcom invested the money from the Lufthansa deal in building Megacar, a luxury car internet-controlled system including Pentium 3 Windows NT, an internet router, and a 17-inch display screen and a multi-camera video conferencing system that retailed at $90,000 US. The idea really didn't pay off, but the press about his mega car raised data protects profile and 80% of the company was sold to German conglomerate, conglomerate TUV Rhineland for an undisclosed amount in 2000. He also started another company with support from German private equity firm BMP, Monkey AG, and Monkey Bank, which according to Socially Engineered, shared both the address and the employees of Data Protect, even though it was now owned by TUV Rhineland. In 2001, .com bought $375,000 euros worth in shares of a nearly bankrupt company, Litsbyit.com, a victim of the dot-com crash. In an interview with The Guardian, he said, quote, I'm completely convinced Litsbyit can reach profitability despite its current problems, end quote. Dotcom declared his intention of investing 50 million euro in the company and the news caused 
the stock price of Let's Buy It to Surge. Dotcom then cashed out, making a profit of 1.5 million euros. Need I go on? Honestly, yeah, I, I'm going to go on here for a little bit, but right there, that was a pump and dump. He found a shit company and he used his, his, uh, like, I don't know, standing in the world community, if you want to call it that to pump the price. And then he immediately just bailed. If you don't expect him to do the exact same thing to your bag of B cash, if you're unfortunate to be holding that, I got bridges, bro. I got bridges. Quote, everything that has grown up around Mr. Schmitz is, to say the least, somewhat dubious. TUV spokesman Tobias Kirchhoff told the German business site Handelsblatt.com in 2001. The German hacking community has also turned against him, so .com decided to, quote, flee Germany. He ended up in Thailand, but was promptly arrested and sent back to Germany, where he pleaded guilty to embezzlement charges. In 2003, he was sentenced to two years probation and fined 100,000 euros in Germany. After that, he moved to Hong Kong where he registered several companies, Trendex, Kimvestor LTD, Monkey LTD, and Data Protect LTD. In 2005, .com changed Data Protect to Mega Upload. Now, this is the company where he got really famous and really rich. And he started a file hosting website, which is where he really made his millions. Anyone could register to have an account with Mega Upload where they could host both their own legitimate files as well as pirated movies and music content, which could then be shared with people on forums and file sharing websites. Dotcom made his money from ads served on the website. At its peak, Mega Upload was the 13th most visited site on the internet. In 2009, .com moved to New Zealand with his wife and five kids, leased a mansion for 30 million New Zealand dollars and a helicopter and bought 12 cars for $3.2 million. Even though he had a criminal record, New Zealand granted him permanent residency in 2010 after he invested 10 million USD in the country, which put him in the Investor Plus category in 2012. New Zealand police arrested .com after a raid on his mansion in collaboration with the FBI. Mega Upload stands accused of costing copyright holders over 320 million pounds. That's British pound sterling in lost revenue. The huge coordinated op operation required 70 police officers, an armed SWAT team, four FBI agents, and a battalion of land and air vehicles. Uh, in 2013, .com launched the cloud storage big business Mega with a lavish party at his mansion in January. He also won the right to sue the New Zealand government as surveillance by the national security agents was deemed illegal. He was also decide or he also decided to enter politics and founded quote the Internet Party. All right, so it just goes on like this. It, it just it just goes on and on and on. Arrest after arrest. I the I just. The guy's a scammer. So it's no wonder that Kim.com, who was promised, like when, when he got out of whatever it was that he was in, I can't remember when it was. I think it was like 2015. Yeah, somewhere around 2015, he started talking about Mega Upload 2. And I even I was excited about it. And then I got more excited because he was starting to talk about that they were going to use Bitcoin now, and then all of a sudden the scaling war started happening and there, you know, fees did go up and all that kind of stuff, but we didn't have lightning network at that time. Uh, now we do. So Kim is 
he's not hitching his wagon to the to the wrong horse. What he's doing is he's standing along another horse that is exactly like him in the fact that Roger Ver is a scammer and he's a no and a felon and all that kind of stuff. In either event, um, it doesn't surprise me one bit that Kim dot com is uh, talking about B cash. It doesn't surprise me. It shouldn't surprise you. The good news is actually the news about that is, is that there's a lot of people that don't know who Kim.com is anymore because during that entire time that after he got raided and all that, he kind of just went out of news. I mean, every once in a while people would report on him, but as far as being like a big time fella in the, on the internet, no, that basically stopped after mega upload got taken down. Anyway, let's see. Let's get into a short one here that's kind of amusing. Japanese educational institution charged with misappropriating funds to buy cryptocurrency. This is Brave New Coin. Uh, Mashayuka Tashiro is writing on the 19th of January. The Mijo Gaokin Educational Corporation will file a criminal complaint against the company's former chairwoman after funds were used to buy cryptocurrency. The Japanese Educational Institution Educational Corporation will file a criminal complaint against the company's former chairwoman and other associated individuals on suspicion that operating funds for the Osaka University of Tourism have been misappropriated to invest in cryptocurrency. According to Meijiao Gaokin, former chairwoman Miko Oshashi, former board members, and other associated individuals are alleged to have used 100 million yen about a million dollars worth of USD of the company's funds to purchase cryptocurrency in 2018. Oh, bad move, brah. <laughs> Oshashi resigned in June 2019 after the company's board became aware of the situation. The results of an investigation into the incident by a third-party panel are expected to be publicly released by Mijo Gaikin soon. The corporation had been issued a subsidy in 2018 from Japanese ministries of in, uh, Ministry of Education, Culture, Sports, Science, and Technology to be used by institutions of higher education for current expenditures, totaling approximately 130 million yen. The ministry has requested an explanation of the status of subsidy funds. Sounds to me like she took well over one quarter of their funding. Wow. Or no, not three quarters, not one quarter, three quarters. They had a hundred million yen and apparently a hundred or 130 million yen and a hundred, a hundred million yen were used to buy cryptocurrency in 2018. Not, not a, a real good move. Uh, last up is India. Bitcoin crypto assets are not banned in India, according to RBI. After a stressful Supreme Court hearing, India conceded that Bitcoin and crypto assets are not illegal. The Reserve Bank of India, the country's central bank, also stated it did not place restrictions on BTC or other virtual currencies. So in a wild turn of events, flip, meet, flop, Christine Vasileva is writing for Bitcoinist.com. The RBI in place, in the, uh, sorry, the R RBI put in place ring fence regulations to protect banks and institutions from the risk related to trading Bitcoin and other crypto assets. The central bank has also restricted banks from dealing in Bitcoin and crypto due to concerns for terrorism financing. Of course, the wider public is not restricted from trading or using digital assets in a peer-to-peer -peer fashion. That's all you guys need to know about that. So, again. In a blindingly fast turn of events, the Central Bank of India says 
Bitcoin is okay in India. You, apparently, you just can't use it to like you know start companies that trade with it and and be a bank with it. As long as you're buying shit off the street with it, you are good to go. According to RBI, that's going to do it for morning rounders. school i knew a guy that turned out to be one of my all-time best friends for life a man by the name of doug probably well actually he was the best bass player i ever personally met he was arguably among actually not was is he's not dead i sorry (laughs) i didn't mean to give that impression he is unless he stopped playing i haven't talked to him in a while but he is one of the best bass players that I've ever heard play, and that includes all the professional musicians that I've ever listened to. The guy had a singular gift. Now, um, when I was young and we had met, we uh, I was hanging out a lot in Telluride, Colorado. Uh, he was living there, and another buddy of mine, Jared, uh, also one of my very best friends, uh, he's the guy that introduced me to Doug and Jared played guitar. Doug played bass. I played nothing, but I knew how to do mixing and recording and shit. And I'm not going to get into the, the nitty gritty of the band, but Doug had this cassette tape. Yes. We were listening to cassette tapes when I was in high school. <laughs> Got to date myself here, but he had this tape and that son of a bitch tape traveled with him everywhere he went it got plugged into every stereo of every car or house that we were at. And what was it? One night, a radio station he was listening to decided they were going to do a marathon for the band. Yes. And they played like every single song from, he recorded like it was a 90 minute tape. So 45 minutes on a side Um, And he had every bit of 90 minutes of yes recorded on that damn thing. And it was back to back every single rush song or not rush every single yes song that was (laughs) that had ever been played on the radio that had like charting and it was like cult or cult classics or whatever. That was my first introduction to yes. After years and years and years went by, I discovered that yes reproduced the most albums that replayed the most of their old music than any other band that I had ever met. It didn't matter what album from yes, I picked up starship trooper was going to be on there. So, you know, other things were going to be on there and I'm like, dude, write some new music. Finally, when 90210 came out, 90210, uh, hold on. 90125. That was one of the albums that came out that broke what, in in my view was like this long stint of them continuously building, you know, making albums and then putting like their old music on, on an album. It just, it was mind boggling. Anyway, this is one of the songs from that tape. Sorry, had a glitch. Uh, this song is Starship Trooper.
Okay, Daily Train Wreck brought to you by none other than Calvin Air. Uh, he, his train wreck follows the BitMEX research tweet that I'm about to read. Bitcoin SV had a non-consensus chain split today of length 2. It occurred from 1436 UTC to 1451 UTC. See forkmonitor.info for all the details. Anyway, Calvin responds to this. This is how Satoshi Craig designed Bitcoin to work. You guys don't understand this industry. It's not all about money laundering using non-scaling zero real utility crime coins. Yes, apparently the design of of BSV is non-consensual, you know, chain splits every once in a while. That's that's not a bug, that's a feature. Anyway, there's your smoldering pile over there, and let's get right on in to Terrible Joke Corner since I'm running long. I'm going to do two today because one of them comes from my buddy Coin Laughs, who I have a lightning network channel open with. Yay, Coin Laughs. He's at Coin Laughs, C-O-I-N-L-A-F-F-S. He turned me on to this one from Stranger Things, or sorry, Stranger Tings 5, Detective. How did he die? Officer. The deceased, John MacArthur, had participated in a competitive eating competition yesterday where he ate six pounds of peas. He went home to sleep and never woke up. Foul play is not suspected. Detective. So he was peaceful and died in his sleep. Oh, God. It's so terrible. It's, I mean, this just be, this beyond bad coin laughs. My God, dude. As, it, like, as if I can't find bad jokes that are terrible all on my own, I got to have you giving me even worse shit than, ah, oh, God. Okay, now, your dad says jokes, terrible joke, is if you boil a funny bone, you get a laughing stock. <laughs> yes, sir, nothing like a Tuesday morning to have some food humor going on. Uh, what is not humorous is that that whole Kim.com thing. I know, I know. I'm probably taking it a little bit more seriously than I should. But uh, it's one of those things, man. Uh, the scammers are going to group together. And, and I've in this space over the last few years, what I've found out is that there's a, a way more people than I ever in my wildest imaginings. And I've, I've seen some pretty terrible shit. Um, I'll tell you stories about that. A lot, you know, on down the, down the road, but I, I've seen some pretty bad people, um, and had to commiserate with some really, really awful fucking people. I'm talking like prisoner for murder kind of shit. Oh, like I said, we'll, we'll get into that later. Uh, that's not a story for today, but what I'm coming to find out that there's just a lot more people that are just reckless and unethical and immoral, and they just don't give a shit about anything but money. And the funny thing is, is that once they have all this money, they spend it on stupid shit. Lambos. <laughs> the car that catches on fire, you know, like more like, and who needs 12 cars? I'm not telling you what to go do with your money. Dude, if you want 12 cars, go right ahead. But it also doesn't mean that I don't, you know, 
I don't get the chance to say you're fucking stupid for buying 12 cars. You can only drive one at a time. I, you know, okay, get three. I don't, okay, seven. That's one for every day of the week. It's like like week weekly underwear, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And you can get vanity plates Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for all of your Lambos and your Boxsters and your Ferraris and all the, the, the shit. I'm just saying, guys, you might want to invest in like, I don't know, land, raw, expansive land. I'm just saying. Anyway. Anyway, I'll I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.